it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. We have a big agenda to go through. Man, there's a lot of action. Four o'clock in the morning, Eastern. Uh, Vladimir Putin speaks. President of the United States is in Poland. More details about his trip there and back in Kiev. And then we have uh, Chinese pronouncements, too, that put us... Uh, these are when world issues become major issues, but we're not forgetting about Ohio. We're not forgetting about our border. We have so much to talk about, and uh, we want you part of the conversation. This hour, Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, guess what? They're asking people to redeploy from the southern border where we're undermanned to the northern border where crossings are up over 500 percent. you believe this? We already asked air marshals to get off planes and go to the border. Now we're going to tell them to go into minus five degree weather. Good luck with that. Asa Hutchinson, he's probably going to be a presidential candidate, former governor of Arkansas, term limited out. He's going to be with us in 15 minutes. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. There is a turning coming in the economy. I know our employment numbers were very high last month. I know the inflation numbers have been coming down for a while. But the new inflation numbers, the one monthly numbers, the future of the economy is not going along well. Uh, that is uh, Art Laffer, because I know the numbers say the economy is recovering. I know recession says, according to the numbers, is not happening. But prices, inflation, layoffs in retail to big box stores, closures and bankruptcies are mounting and the numbers are staggering. How is your economy? How's the economy for you? How is your wallet? How are your wages? I want to hear from you. Number two. We're looking at potentially having, we already have Nikki Haley who's announced, but potentially Senator uh, Tim Scott, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. If it's a crowded field, it does seem like that could work in Trump's favor. Uh-oh, taking shape. The 2024 Republican field is emerging. DeSantis tours. Uh, we know Haley's in Iowa. Pence is in South Carolina. We know the listening tour by Rick, uh, by Tim Scott. Trump is into East Palestine on Wednesday. Let's get it on. Number one. The responsibility for that is fully on the United States. They want to deliver us a strategic defeat while crawling into our strategic nuclear objectives. Regarding this, I have to say that Russia suspends its participation in the New START Treaty. Biden's visit to Kiev was great, but what happens now? We'll define if the war will be a success for Ukraine and the West. The need F-16s and attack them. Now, no joke, a massive plan to replenish our weapon stocks for here, us at home. This, the window of support, is here. No question, without an election, we can focus on this. Most American support, don't screw it up. If you drag it out, you will. So let me give you an idea of what Vladimir Putin ranted about for over an hour. He says the U.S., excuse me, he says Ukraine and their Western allies started the war. That's wrong. They said Russia's utter existence is at stake. That is wrong. They say that citing NATO's expansion and putting missiles on, our, on their border, that's a threat to them. That is wrong. Estonia, Poland, and Romania, uh, Finland have never been a threat to them. But you go ahead and rant. 
They say the sanctions have not been effective. I think their economy uh, sank 25%. Even oil and gas are down purchases. Uh, They say uh, that they will double and triple down, and they've even uh, insinuated that they haven't taken nuclear war off the table. That's good, because with the wind, it'll blow right back in and make your whole country radioactive. But you can rant. They also got out of the Nuclear START Treaty, Nuclear START Two Treaty, the newest one. Okay, good. You were cheating on it anyway. Trump wanted out of it to begin with. Keep in mind, I want to live in a world in which people say, oh, let's just make peace. What's the big deal? Let's just work it out. Let's worry about here. Let's worry about our border. Let's worry about our economy. Let's worry about our deficit. Fine. You got to worry about two things. This world is so interconnected. It was in World War II. Can you imagine what it is now in 2023? So you look at a situation where you have a country that is being invading another country. That is now uh, Yahoo News has gotten plans that Vladimir Putin had planned on taking Belarus by 2030. Okay? No one told Belarus. They've taken two provinces— from Georgia, they walked in in 2014 and just took Crimea and the Donbass region, and they said there was these are Russian separatists. So they took a portion of Ukraine to begin with. Now they took another 15%. So let's just let them go. Do you think they're going to stop there? Do you think it's because NATO's there? Do you think it's because America's economy is thriving that they're jealous? I don't know. How about not? And how about this? We thought that George Bush was the problem. I didn't. So when Barack Obama came in at 48 years old, he said, I'm going to reset that relationship with Russia. I'm going to pull the missile defense out of Russia without them even asking and show you it's a brand new day. We're going to give them a button that's misspelled, and we're going to say reset the relationship, hit the button. They looked at it as total weakness. And then we said, let's re-up the restart to the treaty. He's like, really? We're cheating on it. Don't worry about it. How'd that go? Goodbye, Crimea. Goodbye, Donbass region. And you know what we did? No lethal weapons to Ukraine, therefore they're not armed. Let's get them blankets and MREs. We don't want to provoke Russia. How did that go? Six years later, an entire invasion of the whole country with 500,000 troops. Now, we want to live in a world in which they take Crimea, no big deal. It's just a resort area historically. May or may not have been belonged to Russia. I think it's a huge deal. It was given to Ukraine by Khrushchev. It's clear. You decide you want it back. So that's huge. Clear. So you want at home, you're sitting at home going, let's just make, we don't care about Ukrainians. And we don't think that's the perfect democracy. I don't like Zelensky. He's too short. He was an actor. I don't like that he, he wears fatigues. So I, let's just forget about it. The next generation will never forgive you. And here's why. Because if they take Belarus, they take Ukraine, then they take Moldova, then they mount troops around Poland. They say, you know what? We're going to start uh, pressuring you guys, infiltrating your elections, unless you just rotate that lead around. And those Baltic nations with Kalingrad right in the middle, we're going to start reasserting ourselves there because historically you belong to us. And while you get this land, you become more powerful because using their natural resources and using the industrials of those people. Because your people aren't industrious. You're taking out the market economy. These people, 200,000 have left over 200,000 casualties with 60,000 minimum dead, over 150,000 wounded. So you're just going to absorb these countries. And then there's going to be a generation that's going to have to go fight in Europe again. And they're going to go, what were you guys thinking in 2014? How could you give them blankets? How could you ignore them in 2018? How could you look at troops well up in 2022 and not dissuade them through leverage not to invade? 
That's how I view it. Here's a little of the lunatic Vladimir Putin. Cup four. I want to repeat, it's they who have started the war. We have used and are using force to stop it. The West deployed not only military, information, but also an economic front against us, but achieved and will achieve nothing, nowhere. Okay. Does any normal thinking person with a brain cell in their cerebellum think that we started that war? Cut five. What's important is that our relations have degraded. The responsibility for that is fully on the United States. They can't be silly people. They want to deliver us a strategic defeat while crawling into our strategic nuclear objectives. Regarding this, I have to say that Russia suspends its participation in the New START Treaty. Goodbye, Nuclear START Treaty. The one that Joe Biden decided just to re-up and said, go ahead and get Nord Stream 2 flowing. Weakness, weakness, MREs, blankets, weakness, and they took advantage. Missile defense taken out without even asking. Weakness. We want to say it's an overture. They look at it as weakness. I wish we lived in a world with our values. We don't. And the people with our values, while respecting their own culture like the Polish, count on us to lead. President Duda just said that half hour ago. You let us out in World War I. You told us what freedom was like. You actually fought for our freedom in World War II. And then you took down the Cold War and the Iron Curtain in 1989 and allowed us total freedom and autonomy for free elections. That's what America's done in the past. You may think it's not a big deal. I think it's a big deal. You know what's more important? They do. When we come back, how does Asa Hutchinson feel? A lot of Republicans don't agree with me, and I'm fine with that. But I love to debate it. And then we'll have Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. A lot on the agenda. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We brought the scientists in. Uh, we brought the people in who can test the air throughout this. The air has been good. You know, we initially told people within a mile radius that they should leave, you know, exit from there, leave their homes. Some didn't, but most of them did that. Uh, we went back three different times, you know, again, warning them that they should, in fact, leave. Then after we had the controlled emission that took place, we you know, continued to monitor that air. And um, you know, we waited until that air was again clear before we announced that people could go back voluntarily, whatever they wanted to do, but they could go back into their own homes. 
Governor DeWine breaking down what he's done since the derailment and the poison gases that were put into the sky and the forced detonation that I think by some accounts made everything worse. Uh, when you're a governor of a state, you have no idea what's going to hit you, but you do have to react. Governor Asa Hutchinson uh, was term limited out in Arkansas and is thinking about running for president. Uh, governor, welcome back. I'm wondering what you think of the latest challenge, uh, and it's more than a challenge for the people of East Palestine, of what's going on in Ohio and how it's been handled. Well, as you mentioned, uh, you know, a governor has to be prepared and on site for these things. I've handled disasters here in Arkansas, and the most important thing is to be there make decisions, get resources there. And in this case, there's federal resources that are required. There's federal uh, rules and agencies that have responsibility. And uh, that's where the absence is. Uh, it's just amazing to me that we have uh, a secretary of transportation that hasn't been there on site. And uh, to show the support, to listen to the community, Governor DeWine, I think, is doing an outstanding job in being responsive uh, to uh, the people of uh, Palestine that's been impacted by this. Uh, so we'll see where it goes. Now you have a situation where the people don't even want to show up and play basketball against uh, East Palestine, blowing off volleyball, basketball games. They, seized, they, they had to miss a tournament because no one wanted to show up. How do you get ahead of this, knowing that we're all traumatized from the way we handled the pandemic? Well, you've got to spend a lot of time in the community. Uh, you've got to look for solutions, whether it's uh, basketball or whether it's uh, uh, accommodating the needs of homeowners that need places to live. And and again, that's primarily state leadership in meeting the immediate needs, but it's federal resources that are required. And so you have to be on site, you have to have an incident command center that is there responding to the needs. And you also have to address uh, you know, the, the frustrations of the citizens uh, of East Palestine and those that are impacted. So, uh, you know, again, Governor DeWine uh, is there. The local emergency management folks are there. And uh, they just need the support from the federal government and the Biden administration to provide the resources needed to meet the needs. So President uh, Biden uh, made his trip into Kiev 10 hours in, 10 hours out, six hours on the ground. Uh, where do you th- what do you think he did for that mission? What should our mission be in Ukraine, Governor Hutchinson? Well, let me be very clear that uh, I think that uh, it's a it's a great moment for America that we have our president that shows the courage, goes in there uh, to Ukraine and shows the support. And I think it's a bipartisan support. So. Uh, you know, we need to uh, applaud this. This is a good moment for our country and and those that respect freedom and sovereignty and those that are fighting against oppression. And then you have the bigger picture of, of Russia and China uh, colluding to uh, fight the United States uh, in a, uh, you know, through their proxy efforts in Ukraine. And so, uh, you know, we have to understand what's at risk here. And I think it's really important for Republicans to unite in support of Ukraine, their sovereignty, their freedom, and their fight against oppression. Listen, so I'm with shouldn't... you, Governor. I'm with you. But there's a lot of Republicans are out. They're saying $113 billion, maybe another $113 billion. Uh, Europe has given most UK $4 billion. Uh, they're getting worried about their money into a proxy war against uh, Russia, I think it's worth it. But what do you say to a lot of people in your own party who just say no? 
they need to look at what Ronald Reagan would do. They need to understand what's at risk here. And, you know, to think that this does not impact uh, the broader European countries, that they're not risk to Poland. There's not, you just look at the history of Russia going into Crimea, Russia going into Ukraine. This is not uh, something that uh, if, if they're successful, we're go they're going to continue that aggressive effort uh, and put other countries at risk. So a lot's at stake. And, and, and what I say to my Republican colleagues is, uh, let's be supportive of those that fight for freedom. Absolutely, we should uh, audit, we should make sure that we have protective measures and we can debate exactly what the resources are. But in terms of our overall messaging, let's be supportive. And I think that's a, a differentiator between some of the right. Republicans ship right now. I want to be a voice to bring them together. And absolutely, we can, as you know, I'm going to the border. I'm going to Tucson uh, today. Uh, I'll be holding a, holding a border solution summit, uh, bringing in sheriffs from three different states, uh, community leaders, uh, congressmen. And so you can do more than one, but we can we can uh, enforce our border but also support ukraine at the same time i also think this the united states this is the when we told china not to arm the russians they said the united states is in no position to make demands of china china's uh, comprehensive collaboration partnership with russia is based on non-alignment non-confrontation non-targeting of third parties and a matter of with sovereignty of two independent nations kind of warned us that they're probably going to give arms i mean this that could be the beginning of a major confrontation uh, does that alter your view at all? No, I don't believe that we should let Russia or China alter the United States' support for a freedom-loving country. And so, uh, you know, to say otherwise would say we ought to give in to China's blackmail. We ought to give in to Russia's demands, and I don't believe that's appropriate. Now, that doesn't mean we should restart the Cold War. It doesn't mean that we should uh, put our troops anywhere, uh, but it just means mm -hmm. that we ought to continue our united leadership uh, gotcha. and support for Ukraine. And, to, and, and Europe is right there with us on this. This is not something the United States is out there alone on. We have other nations that are with us on this. Many Go, yeah, but we're the leader. Governor, I think you're smart to go to the border. Uh, I think you have to get it in the spring. The conventional wisdom is if you want to run for president, when do you think you'll make your decision? You know, spring uh, is a good time. Uh, it, it, you know, I don't think we have to be uh, set artificial timelines, but obviously when you're looking at uh, July debates of the RNC that uh, you want to make decisions before then, and so that's uh, why I was in uh, uh, Iowa uh, recently this last week. I'll be going back there. Okay. Uh, this is an exciting time to develop this consistent exactly. conservative. Governor, always great to talk to you. Good luck with your decision. I look forward to, I think, seeing you on the debate stage. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You heard it from Zelensky himself talking about the consequences of World War III. The thing is, he has made very clear 
that that's where he thinks we are already, that we are in World War III. Ukraine is the tip of the spear. And this is how he justifies demanding, making demands of the United States and all of these NATO countries to equip him with all of the weapons and aircraft and tanks that the United States and NATO have to go and fight this war that we are in against Russia. Uh, he is doing everything that he can to bring us and NATO into this war, directly into conflict uh, with Russia. And that is Tulsi Gabbard, uh, gone into former Democrat, gone independent to her great credit. Still, I think, in the military, National Guard was over in Iraq. Uh, and she does not believe we should put one dollar into Ukraine. Like Tucker Carlson, not one dollar into Ukraine. Uh, like a lot of people, we, you know, we have problems in Palestine. We should not be in Ukraine. Uh, we have problems at the border. We should not be in Ukraine. I see a much different picture. Let's bring Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, who uh, for 27 years served in our military, uh, executive director now of the American Constitutional Rights Union and uh, former Florida congressman. Colonel, welcome back. It's good to be with you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Uh, major events have happened over the last 48 hours. Uh, Vladimir Putin spoke for over an yeah. hour where he says we start the West. Ukraine and our Western allies started the war. They're fighting for Russia, Russia's very existence. And uh, NATO has surrounded and they have every intention of taking over their country. And he might even use nuclear weapons. Where do you stand on all this? Well, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on from Vladimir Putin, and no one has any sights on Russia. But, of course, that's how Adolf Hitler kind of framed his argument when he wanted Czechoslovakia and he wanted the Sudetenland. And, of course, we remember how Sir Neville Chamberlain rolled over, signed the uh, Munich uh, Peace Accords. And the next thing you know, we did have a, a world war because we didn't stand. Look, I'm not of the mindset that we continue to write blank checks to Ukraine, $113 billion. We should not be, you know, providing them pension relief and rental payment relief when we got a lot of homeless veterans here that, that could use some assistance. And you're right. When you look at what's happening on our board, we have to be very concerned. So I think that where you see this 75 to 25 split of America funding this, uh, that should be reversed. and It should be Europe taking more of a stance. The most important thing that Russia, I mean, that uh, Ukraine needs is to protect its airspace and re regain its airspace. And so the aircraft that they need, the shoulder uh, fires surface-to-air missiles, you know, longer-range artillery pieces, that's it. But we shouldn't be throwing tanks in there to start talking about a prolonged uh, ground uh, offensive or ground warfare operation. So I think we have to be very careful about going into the morass. This is not the administration that can lead us and guide us through this type of uh, conflagration or conflict. Uh, they've proven they're not up to speed when you look at what happened in Afghanistan. Very interesting. So you don't believe we, they, we should be giving up tanks or our allies should be giving up tanks? I mean, they're getting mostly no, the no, Leopard I, 2 tanks. I mean, the allies, if the allies want to give them, you know, the Germans want to give them the Leopard tanks and the Brits want to give them the Challenger. But I think America's position should be that we will help you to uh, regain control and dominance of your airspace, and that's it. But we're not there to start paying you for pensions and things of this nature. And furthermore, well, that's we're true. doing something that's not – that it's not within the Constitution. I mean, when is Joe Biden going to go to the Congress of the United States of America and make this point? You just can't go over there and say, here's another $500 million, here's another billion dollars, you know, what have you. I mean, this is American taxpayer money, and our congressional representatives to have a say-so in this. But don't you think um, – you're right. I, I am not confident anytime I see him. I just watched him meet with uh, the Polish president. Made up some story how – I know it's not true – the Pope called him up after he said that the wall he predicted 
uh, the wall would fall, and he went to see him. And then he came out and said there were <laughs> yeah. so many SKYs in my in Delaware. I, I was so jealous. I felt like I was Polish. Same story he told about Jews in synagogue. He's Puerto the Rican. Same, he was Puerto yeah. Rican. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. <laughs> Having said all that, yeah. the Ukrainians fight like warriors. Uh, I don't have any problem with Zelensky, uh, especially the way he he stood up, he stood his ground so far, and he's not afraid to go to the front lines either. And I do believe Russia is a as uh, Vladimir Putin is every bit as evilly intended as if that is a, a tense for that word as Vladimir as Stalin, and I think that if he had the wherewithal as Hitler, and he's already starting to form a coup, uh, foment a coup in Moldova, he's already taken. We know yeah. Crimea, parts of Georgia. Then he takes the Donbass region. We take missile defense out. We give him blankets and MREs to not be provocative. And all he sees it as, fill in the blank, weakness. So he yeah. has to get his ass beat uh, back, to, uh, back to where he belongs. Or else 20 years from now, the next generation is going to go, what were you thinking in 2023 as you took all the Baltics back? And you've been, and you basically watched as the other, uh, the other nine Eastern European nations that went into NATO gradually fell. No, you're spot on, and that's why I drew the parallel between, you know, the 1930s with Hitler as the chancellor and wanting the Czechoslovakian sedateland. We just continued to roll over and give him more land, and the next thing you know, he overran the Rhineland. And the Ukrainians and can fight. Uh, the Poles and basically had, had had no arms. They were just steamrolled. No. Obviously, the Czech Re- Czechoslovakia had no capabilities. Uh, Russia had yeah. capabilities. They were invaded, and they lost millions of people uh, in this war. But this is a replay. And I just don't know why people yeah. don't understand that even though Joe Biden might be, uh, might be a terrible leader, and that's true, it doesn't mean this challenge isn't real. No, the challenge is absolutely real, but the people that are in this position at this time, I don't think that they're up to the challenge, and that's what really freaks me out. Like, you know, the fact that, again, you go back and you see what happened in Afghanistan, and that debacle really encouraged, you know, China and Russia, and we do have a new axis of evil that is uh, coming together, if I can use that phrase. Yes, you can. Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and let's not forget, you have the rise and resurgence of Islamic jihadism. But elections have consequences, and we do not have an administration that is uh, leading toward a military and capability capacity that can deal with this. Now, if we wanted to fight the Russians and the Chinese on using proper pronouns, I think we'd be okay. Or, you know, uh, policies toward gender dysphoria, we'd be okay. But right now, we don't have the type of leadership that I can trust to be able to negotiate, negotiate this, uh, this minefield diplomatically, uh, militarily, economically. When you undermine our own energy independence, that was another uh, encouragement so to Russia because now, you know, so it, it was incredibly dumb. So all of these things, remember what Secretary of Defense Gates said, Joe Biden has been wrong on every single foreign policy decision in his career. And and I'm just afraid he's right right now wrong again, even though history would show that this is an important time to make a stand. So, Colonel, not only did they not apologize for the surveillance ship or balloon, they were mad at us for shooting it down, and they want us to put it back together and give it to them. And then they bragged that we asked for the meeting in Munich— and then we're, we're belligerent when, when we were told them do not give arms to Russia. 
This is their response. Wang Wenbin, who's the spokesperson, said, it is the U.S., not China, that's been pouring weapons into the battlefield. The U.S. is in no position to tell China what to do. We would never stand for the finger-pointing or even coercion and pressuring from the United States on our relations with Russia. The international community is fully aware who is calling for dialogue and caring for peace and who is fanning the flames and working confrontation. We urge the U.S. to side seriously, reflect on the role it has played, do something to actually help de-escalate the situation and promote peace talks and stop deflecting the blame and spending disinformation. Is that the acquiescence we're hoping for? Uh, No, but then that's what you should expect because we don't have the moral high ground. China does, and they realize that. And when you have, you know, Anthony Blinken there, who is not a a symbol of strength and power, when you have Joe Biden over there, he's not a symbol of strength and power. That's the response that you're going to get. And they're going to continue to be obtuse, and they're going to continue to be this in this manner because they believe that they do own the high ground. And they're, you know, what did he say? He said, you know, you guys, the Biden administration, you can't even figure out this huge black mushroom cloud in East Palestine. So why are you trying to tell us what to do? I, I do, one thing I, I I think is wrong is conflating domestic policy and foreign policy. And I know we have only a certain amount of money, and I get it. But I do think we were able to fight the Iraq War and the economy thrive. We were able to fight the Vietnam War with civil rights unrest, and we still had a domestic policy while we put what five hundred thousand troops into Vietnam. So I think that it's folly and short-term thinking to think that it's the border or Ukraine, because all we have to do on the border is care and put the and, and try to stop it. We're not even trying to stop it, but it has nothing to do with Ukraine. But see, that's the point, uh, Brian, is that these guys are failing at everything. It would be something else if they, were, you know, were, you know, pushing strong domestic policy. But when you look at our crime, you look at the fentanyl crisis, you look at the human and sex trafficking crisis, you look at a wide open border, you look at the fact that we've gone from 39 percent to somewhere near 800 percent increase of Chinese nationals coming across our border. These guys are failing at everything. And what do you hear them talking about? They want more equity in the federal government. You know, so they're creating creating failure in our domestic policy. They're creating failure in our foreign policy. And that's why you really can't make it a comparative analysis to if they could do one thing right, and you know, maybe we could get the other thing right. They can't do anything right. That's the big concern that I think so many people have, Brian. Uh, no, I, I think it's, it's right to have a concern. and But I just also think I'm in this situation. It's like you might not like your coach. You might not like your, you, you might not like your quarterback. But you've got to find a way to win. And and that's just it. And if you have a great defense, that defense has got to find a way to win. Almost like the Ravens of the '90s. Uh, so all they had to do was not fumble the ball. So that that's my fear. That everyone's like, well, I don't trust this guy. I know. I, I every time he makes a speech, I'm, my eyes roll in my head. And I'm sure they're going to be when he addresses the poll. You know, when he addresses NATO today. But I still understand well, the bigger story. Well, see, the thing is, Brian, when you have a coach. You have an offensive coordinator, you have a defensive coordinator, you have a special teams coordinator, and they all suck. It's going to be pretty hard to pull out a win. And that's just sadly the position in which we find ourselves. You out analogize me, and I'm angry. 
about that. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about 2024. <laughs> let's talk about 2024. Ron DeSantis did a really smart thing, yeah. in my view. He was going to blue cities and speaking about yeah. crime. And that, believe me, that's getting to the heart of the infection. Cut 18. Florida right now has a crime rate that's at a 50-year low. Why do we have a 50-year low? Why is crime a big issue in New York or Chicago or all these other places? And I wish I could tell you that, like, Floridians are just so much better, but it's not the reason. It's not. The reason is, is we support strong policies to keep our communities safe, and we back the blue, and we support their mission, and we back it up with money and all kinds of stuff to be able to do it. So... He's right. They got that. They're offering five thousand dollars to any cop that wants to relocate. They back the blue, mm-hmm. and they're going into New York City, and they're going to Chicago, and they're going to Philadelphia because their DAs and their mayors don't. Is this a this is, is this going to work with Republicans? Yeah, and I think it's going to work with independents, and he's going to peel off some Democrats. What a great strategy. Uh, Basically, what he has done is he has looked at what Lee Zeldin did in New York State, uh, made crime that uh, a preeminent issue, and he is starting out with that issue first and foremost. And he is putting these uh, blue city mayors on their heels. And you look at the Twitter back and forth with Mayor Eric Eric Adams in New York City, he completely embarrassed Mayor Mayor Adams. And so Ron DeSantis is going on offense. Ron DeSantis is taking the initiative, and he is establishing his momentum, and I think he's going to be very successful with this. Uh, So do you believe if if the first debates are in July, when do these candidates have to announce, you think? I think that uh, you want to know later than, you know, like Labor Day. Uh, because the American people don't want to be drawn into something that's a long, you know, excruciating. So don't worry process. about July. Yeah, I, I would say don't worry about July. I would say that let the American people try to enjoy their summer because we've been under a lot of stress. And then if you're ready to go out there and launch and you've built a, a real strong foundation and a solid base, then you announce, you know, coming out of, uh, of Labor Day. And, again, it's, it's about you having the momentum. Study the tactics of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great never was the first person to take the battlefield. He allowed his enemies to take the battlefield, and when they could not reshuffle, reset, he studied their positions, he quickly gave his orders, and he attacked. And that's why he was successful. Didn't he conquer the world by 26? Yeah, he was brilliant. I, we are such underachievers. Well, at least I am. I could not have done that by well, 26. Too. I think I need another me year too. or two. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to conquer my own household. I got a pretty strong <laughs> wife. You have no <laughs> shot. Uh, Colonel, thanks so much. <laughs> Appreciate it. My pleasure, Brian. You take care, man. All right. Uh, we come back. I'll take your calls. one 408 7669 We'll cover all the breaking news. And there's a lot of it. The president's going to be speaking shortly. Don't move. Both sides. All opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. one 408 7669 Appreciate you being here. Uh, let's go out to Ben in Michigan. Hey, Ben. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brian. Uh, look, 
I'm 71 years old. I grew up during, grew up during the Cold War years. I, we, I'm a part of that generation where we had to get underneath our desk and we'll go out into the hallways and cover our heads and practicing airway drills sure. for for what was we, we were hoping would never happen. Uh, I vividly remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. I joined the military in 1977. Uh, under Jimmy Carter, unfortunately, when uh, over 40,000 families uh, in the military had food stamps. And I was there when Reagan took over in 1980 and was probably the greatest time to be in the U.S. military when he built us back up to where we should have been. And we finally was able to uh, 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 take care of the big red bear. So I'm telling you right now, I don't know why my Republican colleagues don't see the handwriting on the wall and realize what could eventually happen if we don't continue to support Ukraine in this in this big that's happening over there right now in, in, in Ukraine against the Russian bear right there. And Ben, you know what the Republicans should be saying? I want a plan to replenish all our stocks, all the weapons. I want a plan. And guess who we buy that weapons from? American companies. American steel. And and that it's, Amer- it's American ammunition. We make the purchases. We make the investment. And listen, Ukraine's going to be a flourishing country if they can gain their freedom again. There will be going to be times in which we, there could be a payment plan set up where they begin to pay back what the rest of the world has done for them. They got it. They're, they're, they don't want any handouts, but they have no choice. So let them fight and win and take down a belligerent nation that promises to be a plague on the world, especially with this idiot in charge, uh, this little leader with a Napoleon complex that is comparing what's happening now to what Napoleon invading Russia, as if we don't realize that they invaded Ukraine. So I just think that people just see politics in everything. And I think it diminishes you when you do have an objection to a Democrat or Republican when everything the other guy does, or woman, is wrong. That's not the case in this case. It's not the case. It is the case that if we don't leave Afghanistan the way we did, Russia probably doesn't invade. If we didn't greenlight green, uh, Nord Stream 2, Russia doesn't invade. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. You need the podcast? Go to BrianKilmeadeShow.com, iTunes, Spotify, everything. It's where you get it. So many of you are downloading it, but glad you're with us uh, live now. Dan Hoffman, uh, former CIA station chief, one of the places he served, Moscow, also Iraq, Pakistan, just really nice places. Uh, he's going to be with us shortly to evaluate this breaking news. Also, Matt Werner is going to be here. Matt is an East Palestinian Youth Sports Associate Director. He's just trying to get people to play his kids, 7th and 8th graders. Nobody wants to come to his gym, even though there's air quality tests there. Bring your own bottled water, but they're canceling game after game. And after the pandemic, is that fair to kids? What would you do? We'll discuss it. Uh, And then we'll have a simulcast with Varney and company. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There is a turning coming in the economy. I know our employment numbers were very high last month. I know the inflation numbers have been coming down for a while. But the new inflation numbers, the one monthly numbers, the future of the economy is not going along well. I know the numbers say economy is recovering. Recession, not going to happen. But prices, inflation, layoffs in retail, big box enclosures, bankruptcies are mounting and numbers are staggering. How is your wallet doing? Number two. We're looking at potentially having, we already have Nikki Haley who's announced 
but potentially Senator uh, Tim Scott, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. If it's a crowded field, it does seem like that could work in Trump's favor. Meredith McGraw, the analysis, taking shape. The 2024 field is emerging. DeSantis tours Haley's in Iowa, Pence to South Carolina. We know that Tim Scott's doing a listening tour. Donald Trump goes to East Palestine. We will go through it all. Number one. The responsibility for that is fully on the United States. They want to deliver us a strategic defeat while crawling into our strategic nuclear objectives. Regarding this, I have to say that Russia suspends its participation in the new START treaty. And just like that, the Russians are out. Of the START Treaty, they were breaking the rules anyway. Uh, Biden's visit to Kiev was great, but what happens now will define if this war will be a success for Ukraine or the West. The need F-16s attack them is now, no joke, a massive plan to replenish our stocks has to be put in place because we're emptying them. This is the window of support without an election looming. No question most Americans do support right now. Don't screw it up because in knowing the way things go, uh, it will fade. Uh, with me right now is uh, Daniel Hoffman. Uh, Dan, welcome back. Thanks. Great to be on the program. So I just want you to I'll bring you to this statement from Vladimir Putin. Cut three. Responsibility for fomenting the Ukrainian conflict for its escalation and for the increasing number of victims lies entirely with Western elites. And, of course, the current regime in Kiev for which the Ukrainian people are essentially strangers. Does he really believe that? And does he believe, does he really think he can get us to believe that? I mean, he's speaking to uh, his own, uh, his own constituents there when he was making that speech. And the thing that stands out for me is that in contrast to the Soviets back in the day, uh, there's no Politburo. There's no, even by those standards, any checks and balances. It's just dictator Vladimir Putin spewing propaganda and his own guys uh, standing up and applauding uh, for those, you know, falsehoods um, and drivel. And, and that's just kind of what you get. What is the state of Russia? Because now they're going to back out of this strategic uh, start to the new one. They were breaking it anyway. President Trump wanted to redo it, said we're just getting out of it. President Biden goes, no, 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 we're going to stay in it. Well, remember, President Biden greenlighted Nord Stream 2. And it looks like Vladimir Putin interpreted all that as weakness instead of overtures for peace. I think Putin is just looking for any kind of leverage that he can get. And so he's thinking, well, I'm going to pull out a you know, new start, uh, which was signed <clears throat> over a decade ago and extended till 2021, limits both sides to about 1,500 long-range nuclear warheads. It's a good treaty. But Putin thinks he might have some leverage over us if, uh, if he withdraws from that. Uh, he really doesn't have a whole lot of leverage. I think this administration, the Biden administration, is over-exaggerating the risk of escalation. It's like they've got they've been hit with escalation paralysis. They've just so slow to give Ukraine the advanced weaponry they need. I think that's really the story of this issue. It's the defining issue, uh, foreign policy issue for the Biden administration. They really can't afford to get this one wrong. And they can't lose. Right. I mean, we, we have to find a way in, the, in a short term. We're not going to be there for 20 years at one hundred thirteen right. billion dollars a year. I mean, and I, I don't agree with uh, paying people's pension funds. Uh, it should be military right. oriented. I don't, I don't think we can um, give everyone their 401k back. But the Vladimir Putin, here's a little more from Vladimir Putin. Tell me, can you read between the lines? Cut four. I want to repeat, it's they who have started the war. We have used and are using force to stop it. The West deployed not only military, information, but also an economic front against us, but achieved and will achieve nothing, nowhere. 
So they know they invaded. They called it a special operation. They say that their other existence is at stake. Uh, the people of Russia are listening to that, and he knows the world's listening too. Well, a lot of the Russians uh, have left, and that you know, there are more Russians have fled the country than have been mobilized. Uh, and so the ones who stay know that that publicly, at least, they can't voice any opposition to Vladimir Putin. That's just the way it goes. Even though it's Putin's war of choice that's resulted in 200,000 casualties, Russia has spilled so much of their own blood and treasure, let alone what they've done to to Ukraine, and and can, can you know they they've been guilty for sure of crimes against humanity there. Uh, but the, the it, dictatorships are brittle, and, and sometimes we don't get to see them collapse until the last moment when everyone around Vladimir Putin just realizes that it's time for him to go, uh, and they make a move on him. And that's that's something I'm sure our intelligence community is, is tracking closely. It's a tough one because they're going to be very secretive about you know whatever they might do to try to remove him. That's Putin's inner circle, uh, particularly you know in department of, in their, their Ministry of Defense. Uh, and the intelligence services were bearing the brunt of the casualties for uh, for this war. They're they're mounting up another two hundred thousand troops. Obviously, this is their C or D team, and they got to go in. They're going to try to spread out the the battle lines. It looks like the Ukrainians are not replenishing their forces with great strength because the, their best soldiers have been fighting already. And there's a finite uh, amount compared to the size of Russia, obviously. So uh, as the Ukrainians prepared to defend themselves again from a Russian surge. Are you worried? Yeah, I mean, that's what you're the points you're making, very well taken points, argue in favor of giving Ukraine what they need. It's been Poland, not the United States, which has been for, you know pressing Germany to give the Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. It has been Poland pressing the United States to provide the F-16s. We need to be – you know, look, Russia does have a greater population on which to draw albeit they've got horrifically bad logistics and supply chain and their morale, the troop morale is awful. But still, uh, you've got to give Ukraine more advanced weaponry uh, and you've got to end this war as fast as you can. You're not going to end it by appeasing Vladimir Putin or failing, you know, failing to give Ukraine what they need is what's going to give Putin a victory. And I think uh, that's what Putin has banked on, this war of attrition that he can outlast us. And, and the longer we delay giving, we delay, we delayed giving Ukraine, you know, High Mars. We delayed giving them the Patriot, the anti-tank weapons, and and all sorts of things that they needed. We didn't give them in time, and it's just followed that pattern now for for the past year and a half, unfortunately. So the other big aspect is China. We know that they've been sustaining the Russian economy. So I also see the stories that they are not stating accurately what's going on with their economy. Uh, their energy revenues revenues are down in the last quarter, forty six percent. Uh, their deficit in January was $25 billion. Uh, their chip imports are down 70%, which is crippling their advanced weapons manufacturing. And Russia is scrambling to make up on the black market what China cannot provide, which is a lot of it, uh, which is a lot of what we have. They're using, selling American stuff over to Russia in some cases. So we told China, you better not send their military uh, equipment. And they said this. It's the U.S., not China, that has been pouring weapons into the battlefield. The U.S. is in no position to tell China what to do. We would never start finger-pointing or even coercion and pressuring from the U.S. on our relations with Russia. The international community is uh, fully aware that this is calling, uh, that they're calling for dialogue and striving for peace. And who is fanning the flames and stoking confrontation? We urge the U.S. side to seriously reflect on their role it has played. So that's Harley. Sorry about the spy balloon. We'll do what you say. Yeah, well, listen, uh, 
The Chinese don't do it, we'll say, and moral suasion and diplomacy doesn't really carry a lot of weight with them. Just remember 2015 in the Rose Garden when Xi Jinping promised President Obama that China wouldn't militarize the South China Sea. But I think in this case, China's trying to be pretty nimble. They know that, that Russia is their long-term strategic competitor, that they benefit greatly by Russia having bled themselves out in Ukraine and being in a very weakened state. China's taking advantage of Russia by importing Russia's oil and gas at, at significantly reduced prices and capturing more of Russia's import markets for manufactured goods that Russia can no longer import from Europe. Those are all good things for China. China's infiltrating Russia's traditional sphere of influence in Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan with their Belt and Road Initiative, debt trap diplomacy. They don't want Putin to lose, but they want to take maximum advantage uh, while Russia is in such a weakened state. And at the same time, I don't think they want to provide Russia with lethal aid. They know that would cause a, a, a real problem for them with the West and the economic relationships on which they rely. Uh, but at the same time, I think they'd like to get something out of us you know, for having not provided lethal aid. They maybe never intended to do it, but they'll, they'll try to exact some concessions from the United States. They're pretty wily when it comes to uh, extorting the West and, uh, and using their, their wolf warrior diplomacy you know, to their advantage. So I know you're CIA and you don't really make weapons for a living, but can you give me an idea of how hard it would be to replenish what we're given, what we give to Ukraine? Because that is a legitimate concern of many people, including me. It's a huge concern. And look, it's been one for years, our own defense industrial base. Uh, and we need to maintain a level of readiness to deal with Iran, not just you know help Taiwan in the event of, of a war there. And we're talking about stuff that we don't make enough of. Uh, you know, artillery, javelin, anti-tank weapons. We're getting there slowly, uh, but there's a lot more to be done. And what I'd like to see, Brian, as a concerned citizen are, are, are hearings on Capitol Hill uh, where oversight committees hold the administration accountable for working with the private sector to get the, the, the defense industrial base up to where they need to be um, so that we replenish our stock. There's an opportunity here for us to be the arsenal for democracy, truly, going forward. And if we're not then we will not deter China, and we will not win the war against Russia, and that will be a bad day for the United States. And Daniel, let's be honest. We're buying weapons from the best weapon by our own companies. So we could be purchasing weapons from Raytheon and, uh, and all these companies. Uh, you know, so it's not like I got, we got to go buy from Hungary. You know, we, we'd make right. it. So it's not going to hurt our economy. It's going to help us, and Taiwan and other countries want to buy what we have. So let's make it and sell it. You know, the, the Reagan administration did that really well. They, they built out our defense industrial base. That was a hallmark of President Reagan's administration. Uh, that's a good thing for us to be doing, especially during these trying times when we face so many wickedly you know, complex challenges to our national security from Iran, North Korea, mm -hmm. transnational terrorism, uh, China, Russia. And we've got allies who need what we have. So let's start producing it CIA, and do it fast. Right, CIA's uh, Dan Hoffman. Dan, I want to read you a statement. Diversity is a strategic imperative, critical to mission readiness and accomplishment. The Pentagon put that out on February 18th. Quote, we're on site for the 2023 inaugural summit on uh, the DEIA experts led forums to advance the DEI and DOD mission because our people matter. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility – this is a priority from the Pentagon. I'm throwing up in my mouth. Yeah, well, listen, I, I'm not exactly sure how they're interpreting it over at the Pentagon. I can tell you what inclusion meant when I was at CIA. It was a little bit different. 
the idea was that imagine you're sitting around a big table and you want to be rallying up all your stakeholders to chat for to deal with whatever challenge you've got. Let's say meeting a source, a penetration of Al Qaeda, a source who's reporting on Al Qaeda. So you've got a lot of people with different backgrounds and viewpoints, uh, and you listen to everybody and put together the best plan possible. That's kind of what we meant by inclusion at CIA. And maybe we're, you know, it's kind of getting overblown a little bit in places. I don't know. But uh, I know that there are plenty, and certainly in the Republican Party, who are ringing alarm bells about that, you know, over to them to to, to talk about it and, and, and uh, get to the bottom of whatever concerns them. Anytime you're putting people in a position because of the color of their skin or the gender they choose, I have a huge problem with it. it it's never going to work. Well, yeah, I'll tell you the, the view that, that I always had and most many of my colleagues was I don't care to take a military analogy. I don't care the person next to me in the trench. I really don't care the color of their skin, religion, ethnicity, gender, any of that stuff. If they could kill the guy on the other side and put a bullet in his face, Great. We're on the same team. If you can't, then you don't belong in the trench with me. That's kind of it. You know, it's a skills based um, choice that you make. Now, think about this. How well we got to do that. I know if we're in the fight for our lives. And I'll give you another analogy. Let's make it less life and death, more sports. The reason why locker rooms work so often, they were successful is because they know everybody there earned it. You can't have if your dad's the coach for the New York Giants, you're not going to start a middle linebacker. And it's not because you're white or black. The best players will play. And that's right. where, is that the last place we've got to wait for a pure meritocracy? Our country is fueled by beating the other person, being better, more, more nimble, more uh, resourceful. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, wait a second. We need a black person. We need a Hispanic person. We need a white person here. And I just think we're going to pay the price uh, overall with, for, for our country's productivity. Make- I'll, I'll give you one last analogy because I'm from Boston. I grew up as a kid. You know, Red Auerbach was a general, was a coach, general manager. Uh, he drafted Bill Russell, made Bill Russell the first black coach. They won lots of championships. And in the 80s, Red Auerbach took a lot of crap because he had like five white guys on the court in the 85-86 season, which was arguably the best team the Celtics ever had. You know, they had Danny Ainge, Bill Walton, Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, uh, Jerry Feasting, those Scott Wedman, all white guys, and he was called a racist, which was crazy because he just put the best players on That's the court all. and they won a championship. Thank He's you. also been the guy who who was supporting Bill Russell and was a and was supporting civil rights. So, gotcha. Uh, you know, I think people just need to be more accurate and and honest about their um, about their assessment. Who you know, knew Dan Hoffman knew so judgment. much about the Celtics? Back so back in a moment. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, let's go out to Matt. Let's on WTKF over in North Carolina. Matt, what's on your mind? Hey, how you doing, Brian? Great. What's on your mind? What's on my mind is uh, I was talking yesterday to a different host, and I said, why does Trump want to keep denigrating DeSantis when they would would make a great president and vice president? What's your opinion, sir? They will never win as a pair. No reason to personally go after him. I thought I think he looks at him as his chief foe. And he goes, remember, he went after Ben Carson. He was prepared to go after Huckabee and he was friendly with them. So, you know, he just uh, ripped up Rubio. We know he destroyed Jeb. That's where the president sees it. That's how he competes. I see. 
I know. It's uh, a lot of people are upset by it. And DeSantis is not going to challenge. The way I understand it, he's just going to keep his powder dry. Listen, when we come back, I'm going to talk to Matt Werner of East Palestine, uh, Palestine Youth Sports Association director. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. show like no other it's brian kilmeade there's hurt in my eyes you know the hurt in my eyes is is the hurt that i know a lot of people in my community are feeling you know the uncertainty and uh you know i told him that i can't sleep you know i see what's been done in my town and his face in the middle of the night when i wake up you know and I, i i hope that he does the right thing you know it's a lot of people a lot of great people are in great concern for, for their safety. Uh, a lot of people are wondering where Palestine, uh, East Palestine is heading. We know the, uh, since the derailment, we know about the, to- the, the toxic gases that are there. They're worried about the soil. They're worried about the fish. They're worried about uh, the wildlife. They're worried about uh, long-term health. In the meantime, the town has to exist. They got to thrive. They got to go back to school. They got to go back to work. And in many cases, they got to go play sports, especially kids. Think about this. The pandemic was hard on everybody for different reasons. I would say hardest on kids uh, on all ages, first grade, eighth grade, 10th grade. We're back at it again if you're in the East Palestine, Palestine area, because now nobody wants to come play them in sports. Their teams are ready to go. The tournaments are ready to fly, and it's just not happening. Matt Werner knows all about this. He's with East Palestine Youth Sports Association director, and he's trying to get his team back in the basketball court. Matt, welcome. Hi, thank you, Brian. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, same. I appreciate. It. I'm sorry you're going through what you're going through now. But what have the last two weeks been like? Well, it's been crazy. It's like something uh, in a movie that you never think you're going to have to go through. You know, obviously there could be much worse circumstances, but this is really at the top of the list of whatever we thought we were going to have to deal with in East Palestine. So, you know, a lot of adversity and challenges that we get the opportunity to overcome now. Um, you know, I, I want to say that things are that things have a positive outlook, but we just haven't seen a lot of that yet. But I'll tell you what, I think we got we got good people in line that are stepping up to a very difficult situation to try to get us to try to get us through something that uh, that we never thought we would have to even worry about. So, so that's kind of where we're at right now. So uh, right now, the big question is, how's the water? How's the air? What do you tell them? What do you tell your kids when they show up for practice? And uh, how many of sports have been affected? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you the rundown of everything that we've seen firsthand. Uh, really, it all started Thursday of last week. So, um, you know, I'm a youth sports director. I'm not, I'm not affiliated with the school. However, we have a really good relationship and communication structure with our uh, East Palestine High School athletic programs and junior high programs. Um, Thursday last week, we had a, a girls' varsity game um, that you know through a, through a lot of 
um, communication back and forth over whether or not we were going to play the game. It was ruled by the OHSAA, the Ohio High School Athletic Association, that the visiting team that did not want to come to Palestine had to come to East Palestine unless they wanted to forfeit. So that team just decided, well, it's not worth it for us to come down there. They forfeited a tournament game. Wow. So that was the first the first loss that we had. The next one was a, uh, a junior Olympic. It's called J.O. Volleyball. Um, we had set up about 11 tournaments that we were supposed to host in East Palestine. Uh, the minute that that game was canceled, immediately 11 tournaments in East Palestine spanning all the way out until, I believe, out to June. Every one of those tournaments was canceled, and that took about $35,000 of revenue wow. right, out, right out of East Palestine. And then the last one that, that hit me the hardest, you know, I'm a big basketball guy, and, and uh, I, I run our, our youth basketball program. Uh, John Simon is our baseball guy. He runs our baseball program, and we have a lot of great volunteers through the youth program. But basketball specifically, uh, we were supposed to host a basketball tournament on Saturday and Sunday this past weekend. And I understand the concerns that drew this, but they said too many teams did not want to come to East Palestine, so they canceled us as a host date uh, for both days, and that cost us, you know, somewhere between five and six thousand dollars. So, you know, it's easy for me to put money to this, but that's not the loss. The loss is what it took from our kids Again. that earned the opportunity to play at home. You yeah. know, and it's it's a, a big a big hit. In the short term, do you, should you find a neutral site? I mean, should you? I mean, is there you know, something you, know you could do, do, or do you think that's a wrong message? Well, so so I'll, I, I'll kind of answer that in multiple different ways. We have the opportunity to play other places. The surrounding communities have given us the opportunity to play in their gym. They've opened their doors and limited their space on their on their court so that we could get gym time there. Um, but from a youth standpoint, you know, what I, what I tell our guys and the message we're trying to get across is that, you know, we're not victims in this. We're going to figure this out and we're going to listen to the experts. And, you know, I'm not trying to make this sound like COVID and I, and I certainly have my opinions on that, but the Ohio EPA and the federal EPA have told us that our, our air is clean and it's safe and it's not hazardous to be in the district and it's okay to go to school. Our kids are back in school. Um, it's okay to play basketball in a gym. You know, it's it's okay. You know, nobody's nobody's going to be harmed when they come into East Palestine, especially if you're there for an hour to watch your kid play a sport. So, you know, the message we're sending is, listen, if we're going back to school every day, if my kids need to be in school, they're going to school. Um, if it's okay for me to move back into my house, which, you know, when they lifted the evacuation order, we came home. I was told it was safe. If the governor tells me it's safe, if the federal EPA tells me it's safe, if the Ohio EPA tells me it's safe, then it's safe. You know, I, if, I'm, if I'm sick, if I think something's wrong with my heart and a doctor tells me you have nothing wrong with your heart, it's just anxiety, I don't go around to three more doctors and claim that they're all liars when they tell me I'm safe. You know, and, and that's that's where we're at with this now is at what point are we going to continue to, to to cancel really important things for our community to move on in East Palestine? At yeah, what point fresh off two years of everything canceled for everybody. Right. These idiots telling that's us it. to have out kids play outdoor sports with masks on. Uh, so, so that we have, that's we what have, people worry about. These people that were telling us one thing, we know they were full of crap, and now you're sitting there, and now you got to tell the same kids, believe my governor, 
uh, believe the federal government with the testing sites. So a lot of those parents worry about that. Are they wrong? They're paranoid. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not going to say that they're that they're wrong. I'm going to say that at this point in time, I have no reason not to believe what the EPA is reporting. And, you know, like, like I said, you know, I'm a big fan of you and I'm a big fan of your show and I'm a big fan of Fox and Friends. And and I listen to you guys and I agree with most of the stuff that, that you guys say on a minute by minute basis. You know, but, but for our town to be able to move on, we have to be able to trust our EPA. And, you know, my, my kids are going back into that school. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say I don't trust that, that, that the air is safe to breathe. I wouldn't send my kids back to school if I felt that way. You know, I'm back in my home. I've had the EPA in my house um, testing the air in my house. And we found no uh, inconsistencies with what the EPA gave us, what readings they gave us. There's been several independent subcontractors brought into people's homes. Local testing facilities have tested the air and said it's okay. You know, but but I got, you know, people that won't that won't come to play us. And here's here's one of the big things is, you know, we have one of the most beautiful towns in Columbiana County. Our track and our high school are are just beautiful. If you ever had a chance to see our football field and our track and the community, the, the homes above our track, um, it's nothing short of beautiful. I, I, I'm so proud of our town. And to hear that, that we're talking about canceling track meets, you know, one of the things that from a sports aspect that Palestine was built on was our track. We always had one of the nicest tracks in the area. And, you know, it, it attracted so many different communities to our town for, for uh, annual track meets. People are saying now they don't want any part of it this year. They don't want to come to any of the invitationals because right. of the, the hysteria that's going on around this. Matt Werner's here, East Palestine uh, Youth uh, Sports Association director about getting back to normal. So, the, yeah, I think that you're a victim of the pandemic and the misinformation that was out there for a long time. And now people are very skeptical. But I think, like you said, uh, I think it's also important to point out what's going on and what has happened. Uh, Norfolk Southern, East Palestine, they, they've set up, I understand, 15,000 pounds of contaminated soil have been lifted out. 1.1 million gallons of contaminated water have been excavated. 2,200 families served as a family assistance center. They seem to be setting up a permanent clinic for anybody with any complaints. And let me ask you, Matt, when you walk outside, do you smell anything? Do you feel as though I hear people hop on the air and say they, it still doesn't smell right? Yeah, so there is an odor. I, I don't smell it in my house or anywhere that I've been. I, I don't smell it. However, I know I know that there's an odor by some of the water streams. I can't tell you exactly what that is. Um, we've been told that, that, yes, you are going to smell this, and it is going to be in the in the crypts, you know, throughout the village. Um, and I don't, I don't know enough about that to really tell you enough about that other than, you know, there is an odor that's coming off that, that a lot of people have reported. Um, but that's not our drinking water. Gotcha. You know, that, that is water that's in our, that's so, in our fridge. Listen, yeah, and, Matt, thanks so much. I have to end it there. I gotta, I'm got i going to a hard break. Matt, we're in the best of luck getting everybody back on the court and back on the field. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, welcome back. I'll be able to take some calls on the back end of this interview with Stuart Varney. He's been off for a couple of weeks, anxious to get to see him again. And we'll be talking a little baseball, and I think we're also going to be talking about Governor DeSantis. I'm going to be with Governor DeSantis. I believe it's March 8th. Spend a day with him. I'll bring back the entire interview for the radio show and hopefully get him live when his book comes out. And, of course, he's, it's in his best interest because I think we've got more Flory affiliates than any other radio station in the country, uh, from Gainesville to Orlando to... Um, to, of course, Jacksonville. Brian Kilmeade just arriving. Brian, I just spoke with Arizona Congressman Andy Biggs. Listen to what he told me about aid for Ukraine. Roll it. You're, so you're saying no more, no mas. That's it. That's right. No mas. And I'm telling him that they need to be encouraging diplomatic solutions. This administration has never once said we should, we should try to get these sides to the table and resolve this issue peacefully. Brian, a little context here. Uh, I just delivered the news that Xi Jinping's going to get together with Putin ganging up against us. And I asked the congressman, what should our response be? And he says, negotiate peace. What say you? I, I can't believe, I mean, can he not think this thing out? So, for example, if Mexico is more powerful than us and they took Texas, should we negotiate or should we try to get Texas back? They, you have one country invade another country and just take already took a portion of it. Now they took 25 percent of it and they've already started, started a coup in Moldova. That's a fact. They have a plan on the table to take Belarus by 2030. You have these uh, these other Baltic nations who say their elections have already been meddled with. And they have the threat of physical violence and a physical invasion, which would be about 18 hours. They could take all those countries back. So you think it's up to us to go up to the modern day Hitler and Stalin combined and say, I have a great idea. Let's talk peace. That will really work. I wish in the world that Andy Biggs and others that that would work. I understand that. But the other side is the aggressor. They're the one invading and chopping up free countries. True. They're the ones trying to reconstitute the Soviet Union. Does anyone read a history book? Do you understand even in short-term history? Let's see how that goes. Remember they took Crimea? Do you know what Barack Obama did? Don't worry about it. Here's some blankets and MREs. They said, we need some weapons to fight for ourselves. They go, we're not giving you weapons. They'll be provocative. When Barack Obama took over, he said, I'm going to get that missile defense out. I'm going to reset relations with Vladimir Putin because obviously George Bush was the problem. You know what happened? They took, right. they kept portions of Georgia. Right. They did their invasion and they went into Syria. That's well, what happens well, well, when you give an evil person a chance to talk peace. What surprises me is the politics of this thing. There seems to be far more opposition to giving aid to Ukraine among Republicans than there is among Democrats. Democrats seem to be behind. Give them the jet F-16s. Give them, uh, you know, modern weapons. There's a political divide here, which I was not expecting, and I don't understand. Well, I mean, Mitch McConnell and most uh, and Kevin McCarthy are pretty much for aid. And I don't think we should be given a blank check. I am not for helping their pension funds. But I am for giving them bullets and armaments and get them the Patriot missiles and help them rebuild their grid. I'm for protecting their grid so it doesn't get blown up and helping them with their hospitals because 625 have been blown up. Do you know what these evil guys are doing? They're going into families, stealing their children, bringing them into Russia and giving them to Russian families. I mean, they are destroying 
apartment buildings with civilians because they can't beat their military. And you want to say it's a perfect time to get a stack table and start talking peace. In what world will talking peace to Vladimir Putin be effective? In what world are you watching what's happening in this world and thinking all we need to do is to get a, well, get a good partner to shake hands and build trust with Vladimir Putin? I, I wish we were in that world, but he only understands strength and force. I think I agree with you. Actually, I really do on this one. I, I want to bring this up real fast. Uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, he was in New York City yesterday, um, and he drew a response from the mayor, Eric Adams, who told DeSantis, hey, we're going to teach you some values, New York City values. What did you make of that exchange? Well, you know, one thing, what I loved about it, and we won't get into detail, but basically he said, hey, uh, Ron DeSantis, welcome to New York, because he's smartly going to where the cities are overrun with crime, Philadelphia, New York, and Chicago. And they're all blue states, obviously. And you say to himself, how about, how about cops? The good cops come with me, because I'm going to give you $5,000, and we got about 1,000 of you. We got more New Yorkers than any place else. And he's saying, I back... I, I don't go think criminal first, you know, and your bail reform is wrong. And the Mayor Adams ignores the fact that he knows bail reform is wrong. He knows crime is, crime is out of control. He knows he's losing everyone to Florida. But he put all that aside to take a shot at one of the most popular Republicans in the country. And basically, Ron DeSantis says, I know you know better, and I know you're smarter than that. And yeah. you know what's wrong. Albany's wrong. And, if, did, yeah. and to Mayor Adams' credit, if he had his druthers, there would be the bail reform would be blown up and we'd go back to the way we were doing it. Yeah, but he's not going to get that from Kathy Hochul. All right, uh, Brian, thanks for joining us. I know we'll see you again real soon. Go, go get him, fella. Uh, good later. to see you, uh, Stuart. Thank you. Welcome back. Coming up on the show. All right, Alex, listen in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking a call about Ron DeSantis, which what you were just talking about. I think once Nikki Haley joined the race, he lost his ability to be able to win against President Trump, and so would be the case if any other Republican candidates would join the race. Because Trump, after the midterm election, we saw he got – the polls were showing that 35 percent of the Republican Party are still going to vote for him in a primary, and that would mean Ron DeSantis would get 65 percent. But once you got Nikki Haley and other candidates in the race, they'll be splitting up that 65 percent remaining votes. So I think it's really awkward for DeSantis because this is really – this was his only chance to possibly make it in primary because he's now like one of the big Republican stars. In 2028, there'll be somebody else coming along that's going to be as popular as him because his popularity is based on what he did in COVID. That's how he became this popular. No, but it's everything, so, though. I mean, it's, it's more than that. COVID is great and it was a big push, but it's almost everything he's done, being pro-law enforcement, being cracking down in these woke schools, taking on Disney – I mean, he's got a series of wins like I haven't seen in my lifetime. I kind of expected from Youngkin he hasn't done it yet. But you're right. Some of those people say the more people in, the better it is for Trump. That could be the case. But also there's other people in different lanes, like Governor Sununu. He says, I'm, I'm a, not, a, not a Trump acolyte. I'll be, I'll be an alternative. We'll see. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. We're watching, we know, within probably a half hour. Uh, we're going to hear from the President of the United States speaking over in Poland. We heard uh, Vladimir Putin about 4 in the morning Eastern time. Uh, ran for 90 minutes in many ways, just delusional, separated from the facts. We're not sure if he really thinks this stuff 
or if he j- is just feeding an audience that he thinks is that gullible, uh, blaming us for starting the war. Okay, that'll go over big. And now he does. One thing is real and is consequential. Is um, well, there's a lot that is real, uh, but one of which he's going to suspend adhering to the start, the new start agreement, which he was breaking and busting anyway. At the President Biden said, I'll just go back into it. It'll be fine. Josh Rogan standing by and we'll be joined by Carol Markowitz at the bottom of the hour. A New York Post columnist talks about the forthcoming book Stolen Youth that comes out, talks about what happened during COVID to America's next generation. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. There is a turning coming in the economy. I know our employment numbers were very high last month. I know the inflation numbers have been coming down for a while. But the new inflation numbers, the one monthly numbers, the future of the economy is not going along well. According to Art Laffer, but I know the numbers say the economy is recovering, recession not happening. But as he was referring to, prices, wages, inflation and layoffs are heading in the wrong direction. In retail, they're really being just cratering. Big box stores laying off and closing. Uh, the numbers are staggering, but they don't figure in the macro economy. How's your wallet doing? Number two. We're looking at potentially having, we already have Nikki Haley who's announced, but potentially Senator uh, Tim Scott, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. If it's a crowded field, it does seem like that could work in Trump's favor. Maybe. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll talk about it, too. Uh, taking shape. The 2024 field is emerging. DeSantis tours. Haley uh, is in Iowa, Pence to South Carolina, Trump to East Palestine. And by the way, Tim Scott on a listening tour. We'll go through it. Number one. The responsibility for that is fully on the United States. They want to deliver us a strategic defeat while crawling into our strategic nuclear objectives. Regarding this, I have to say that Russia suspends its participation in the New START Treaty. Biden's visit to Kiev was great, but what happens now will define if this war will be a success for Ukraine and the West. The need F-16s and attackums is now no joke. A massive plan to replenish our stocks have to be put, weapon stocks have to be put in place. This is there is a window of support. There's no election right now. No question the Americans will probably give them a year. Mr. President, do not screw it up. Joining us now is uh Josh Rogan. Josh, I know you don't get up at four in the morning, especially coming out of Munich, but you must have seen some of the highlights from Vladimir Putin's speech. What's your takeaway? You know, same lies, different day, okay? It's, it's like uh, gaslighting that only works if you're willing to be gaslit or if there's no other source of information. I think they're directed mostly at the Russian people uh, who are living in a cocoon of horrendous Russian propaganda, and a lot of them will have no choice or decide to believe that. But it doesn't really get us anywhere in terms of, like, understanding what Putin's about, except for the fact that these are the same lies that he's been pushing for all this time. And, you know, the new START treaty, that's a that's a shame. That's probably, you know, like, but in the end, you know, if he wasn't following it anyway, then him withdrawing for it doesn't really mean anything. And the bottom line is that uh, he's going to continue to fight. And uh, I think time is not on Ukraine's side. And that's why I think I agree with you that, you know, in addition to President Biden showing up in Ukraine, uh, he ought to show up with some yes answers to some of the most pressing questions that the Ukrainians have right now. I was in Munich for the last four days with Tony Blinken and Kamala Harris and the you know, 50 senators and congressmen and Ukrainian lawmakers all said the same thing. They're like, time is not on our side and stop saying that. They don't like it when, they, when the Biden people say, 
uh, we'll help you for as long as it takes. They're like, as long as it takes, that's not the right message. How about let's get this done quick so that less Ukrainians die and we win the war? That's so interesting because I've never heard that before. Because, of course, as long as it takes, is it turn off to America, too? Because they see $113 right. billion. So it doesn't work. I understand what his point is. But right. the thing is, uh, if it comes to bloodletting, they have more blood uh, to exactly. shed. So here is what Vladimir Putin said. This is one of the most astounding things. Cut three. Responsibility for fomenting the Ukrainian conflict, for its escalation, and for the increasing number of victims lies entirely with Western elites. And, of course, the current regime in Kyiv, for which the Ukrainian people are essentially strangers. Really? Okay. Cut five. What's important is that our... I want to repeat, it's they who have started the war. We have used and are using force to stop it. The West deployed not only military, information, but also an economic front against us, but achieved and will achieve nothing, nowhere. The West started the war? I mean, even Russia can't buy that. Right, no, it's it's, it's crazy talk, but I mean... It's not to say that Putin's insane. He's saying it for a reason. He's a rational but evil human being. So he's, you know, again, just offering anyone who has no choice or really wants to uh, swallow his propaganda something to swallow. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's it's so if it, anyone who exists in the world of, of knowledge knows that the Russians attacked Ukraine. But, you know. It it might he might as well come up with the story. It's a shame that this is like the wor- the best that he could do because it's pretty weak sauce. But I mean, what I think again when I was in Munich, what the Ukrainians were saying, okay, this is what we're dealing with. So don't tell us to get into negotiations and don't tell us to stop fighting because uh, that's not on on the table. And you know, t- eventually, if you just look at the size of these countries and the size of these armies, it's very clear that. Uh, your Russians have a lot more tanks and people, a lot, just a ton more, a ton more missiles, a ton more planes. And eventually the Ukrainians will cease to, you know, it'll be a Pyrrhic victory. They'll, they'll, they'll keep the Russians from taking the whole country, but it'll cease to be the country that we want it to be, to emerge as a, you know, Western healthy country with a democracy and a, an economy and manufacturing. And so every year that this thing goes on, the Russians are just destroying the the infrastructure and then sort of the 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 will of the these people and and killing a lot of them. So you know they're just begging for like don't stop saying you know time is on our side. It's not. And they're like stop saying as long as it takes. Just say we'll give you as much as it takes to win as quickly as possible. And I don't think that's where the Biden administration is. And uh, that's the reality of the day after Joe Biden leaves Ukraine. So so in talking with these senators and uh, and with these other world leaders. I'm wondering if they understand that it seems like besides us, you have the U.K. giving $4 billion. Is Germany doing what they should? Is you, is uh, France doing what they uh, pledged to do? What about uh, – is everyone stepping up like they, they have to? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, we were in Germany. There were a ton of European officials there. You know, they're doing more. OK, there's no doubt that they're doing more than they were doing. But, man, it's they're they're not doing as much as they could. Good example is the German tanks like, for months. You know, they're like, give us the tanks. The the hordes of murdering criminals are coming to rape and kill our children. Can we please have the tanks to have a chance of stopping them? And for months, the hand wringing. And finally, the Germans said, well, if the Americans aren't going to give the tanks, then we're not going to give them. So Biden had to, like you know, say that he was going to give them American tanks, which are not going to be there till next year, by the way, just to unlock the Germans, giving them the tanks that they could have today or they could have had yesterday if they hadn't gone through the months of this nonsense. And that's the kind of 
ridiculousness that the Germans and the French are engaged in. It's all of this crazy, you know, a uh, 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 debate over what missile is too provocative and what missile is not too provocative. And as they debate, more Ukrainians are dying and their position is actually getting weaker. So, you know, uh, yeah, the bottom line is that uh, the Europeans are only going to do what the Americans do first or the Americans tell them to do. I mean, for better or worse, we are the most powerful country in the world and we have the only ability to lead this international coalition. But my take is that the Biden administration is prioritizing unity with Germany over unity with Kyiv, right? It's like they're, they want to stay close to the Germans to keep this NATO group together, uh, even if that means telling the Ukrainians they can't have the things they say they need to survive. And I say that they should have prioritize more unity with Kyiv and then tell the Germans to do more. Uh, and maybe that would be a better result, but that's not the way that uh, this administration thinks. Who's leading the, the thought process? Is it Blinken? Is it all, I'm not Austin, I'm sure, but uh, is, I mean, who's the one who, is it Jake Sullivan? It says, Mr. President, this is what, this is what we should be doing. Right. I'll tell you, honestly, the lawmakers in both parties and the Ukrainians believe that this is essentially Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, running the show and that the president agrees with him and that uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken uh, would, if he was in control, would be advocating a more aggressive uh, policy on a number of fronts, including providing them the missiles and some of and the te- and some of the other stuff that they say they need. Maybe not the planes because the planes again is the complicated and it takes a few months. I still think they should give them to them, but we're talking about the things that we have that we could give them right now that would save lives and kill more Russians. And that's a lot of ammunition. That's the longer range missiles and the drones and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, basically you have a a division of uh, realists and sort of small L liberal internationalists. And and Blinken is on the latter and Jake Sullivan's on the former. And right now the realists are winning the day. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, really tragic for the Ukrainians who are like, don't care about any of the internal politics. They just want the things to save their lives. And they can't afford to alienate us. And if they come out and show the frustration that I hear in your voice, uh, that might be that might hurt them. You right. know, they're, we're, they're, we're they're all just, in on this. And the exactly. president's future, how's he going right. to run on this? If Ukraine collapses while he's trying to get four more years or any Democrats trying to get four more years, it'll be devastating. Even if you want to be selfish and think in politics, I don't think that way. But even if you if you are a politician you know that if this thing collapses, you you think Afghanistan was bad. This right. this would be catastrophically more impactful. Right. The politics this is super interesting, Brian. You're right to focus on them because if you think about it, you know it, when we get close to the presidential election, they're going to want to run on this. Okay. So what end state do they want when that? all happens. And I think the Biden people are calculating that they want to get to a negotiation so that they can say they made peace, right? And so that's why they're trying to arm the Ukrainians just enough to tie, because they figure that's the best way to get them to a place where they'll sit down at the, with the Russians so that when the, when the Americans go to the polls, uh, it won't be you know people dying in the streets. It'll be in the middle of negotiations or something like that. Now, the Ukrainians don't agree with that because they don't think that's possible in the next two years. So they want to win so that the war would be over and they could live and you know start to rebuild their country. That would also be a win for the Biden administration, but the Biden people don't have faith in the Ukrainians to get that done. And that's been the problem this whole time. I remember the, when the, a year ago when they first attacked, when the Russians first attacked, I had like senior Biden administration officials tell me, listen, Josh, this is going to be over in a few days, maybe a few weeks. And, you know, the Ukraine's about to get slaughtered and they're going to get crushed and we better not prolong it. And then they realize that the Ukrainians actually care about their country and their way of life and their democracy and their freedom, and they're willing to die for it. And, you know, 
that should have changed the Biden administration's approach to, okay, let's not push them to make a deal that won't stick so that we can say we kind of fixed it and then leave it for another day to actually fix it, that this is the chance. This is the chance to fix it once and for all. And the only way to do that is for the Russians to suffer an actual defeat. Yes, uh, and they've earned that defeat. Uh, they have no organization. They have no leadership. Uh, they have no experience. They don't really have good weapons. They certainly don't have motivation. They earn the humiliation They are uh, that anyone who's watching these results would conclude. I mean, they've lost 200,000. I think it's pretty accurate, pretty widespread belief. 200,000 casualties, 60,000 dead amongst them. They've had hundreds of thousands leave their country rather than fight for their country, let alone the money that left when they could because they knew the country was going backwards. Can I go to another area of expertise, and that's China? Uh, yeah. This Wang Wenbin, the Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, instead of being contrite and wanting to talk, they were bragging, according to your story, uh, about saying that it was the Americans that wanted to talk, and it was them, we that asked for, uh, we that asked for the conversation, and they instead turned turn around and go, we want our balloon back, we want you to put it together first, and then they went and, and sounded off in front of the world uh, like arrogant idiots, which is to our advantage. Well, yeah, the great, the one good thing you could say about the Chinese Communist Party is that they, they're, they're so cocky and so belligerent and so obnoxious at times that uh, it actually they're overreaching. That there's a backlash, and that's what we saw, what I saw anyway, uh, during three days in Munich. Because here comes Wang Yi, who's just been promoted to be the top diplomat, the top foreign policy guy in that whole country, and. You know, he had a real opportunity. If you just think about it, I mean, three years ago we were all at Munich. Everyone was worried about China. Now all people care about is Russia. But he won't even say that China still believes that Ukraine has a right to exist as a country, which is something that the Chinese at least used to say a year ago. He won't say that. And then he in, he says the Americans should apologize for the balloon, which, again, is sort of like funny, but it's gaslighting. But some people will be like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. And then – he says the Europeans should join with China and move away from Washington. And the Europeans are kind of like you – know, can, can be squishy on this whole China thing if we're being honest. So the German guy who's interviewing says to the Chinese top diplomat, he says, OK, well, uh, can I ask you to reassure us that you won't attack Taiwan imminently? And he says, no. <laughs> and he says – uh, I can assure you that Taiwan is part of China. It was never a country, and it will never be a country. <laughs> Full stop. And everyone was like, oh, okay. I guess that's what we're doing now. And so if you're the Biden administration, again, they're not like – they're not that bad on China. I th actually think they have a pretty sensible, if like incomplete, approach, right, which is like, okay, w we want to talk to them, but like we're not going to give them stuff to talk. Uh, you know, so they – but they wanted the meeting. They were chasing him for the meeting, and then they get to the meeting, and finally he, like, just tell, basically tells them to go screw themselves. And, you know, then they uh, leak that the Chinese are arming the Russians or at least very, getting very close to arming the Russians. It's hard to know. But anyway, they're about to arm the Russians in Ukraine, violating sanctions, uh, you know, taking back everything they ever said about being neutral in Ukraine and Russia. And their response is to release their peace plan for Ukraine, which is like – you know, again, a kind of a sick joke if you're providing weapons to the. And they said the, we had no right to even ask because we're arming Ukraine. How dare we even bring up uh, uh, being upset that where they might be arming Russia? Real quick, Josh, yeah. if they if um, I can't answer, but if they if they did do it, what could we do if they start arming Russia? Sanction China. It's really easy. It's something and called get Europe to do sanctions. it, too. You know, I wouldn't hold my breath for Europe to do it, too. But gotcha. the bottom line is that if China starts arming Russia, you know, a lot of other countries won't be far behind. And again, uh, do we want to win this thing or not? Time is running out.
Josh, uh, thanks so much. Your insight invaluable. Appreciate it. Josh Rogan, back in Washington. Back in Washington. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, we are back. And let me just tell you, at the bottom of the hour, we're going to be joined by Carol Markowitz and go on to how the, how the America's youth has really paid such a price for the pandemic. And now you got the allure of uh, social media. We see the rash of suicides and anxiety levels go through the roof. How much was artificially done? How much was unnecessary? How about almost all of it? From the high school kids to the junior high school kids to the grammar school kids who oftentimes were kept in mass, even in preschool, when they weren't in danger and neither were the teachers. And that we knew that in real time. So let's not pretend we know it now. Carol Markwitz wrote a book about it. She's going to be with us also. I want to break down the comparison between New York and Florida that we saw yesterday as Governor DeSantis comes here to address the NYPD cops. He went to Staten Island, a hotbed for him. And Donald Trump, by the way, uh, and he won Chicago and Philadelphia, at which time he was challenged by the mayor of New York City because they say, uh, basically, uh, you know, welcome to being tolerant for an LGBTQ rights and uh, you should be more, uh, you shouldn't be, you know, basically welcome to our city. And Ron DeSantis' retort is classic. It is, we have, uh, we have more people coming to Florida from New York than any other state in the country. We have a 50-year low in terms of crime. You know this is a problem. You know what your bail law is uh, fomented on this city, thrust on this city. You want to reverse it. Why are you going to bat for it? The mayor politically can't get it done. Now he's just not even bringing it up. We have to live with it. That's why people don't want to open up a business here. That's why there's so much commercial real estate available. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There should not be any of these woke prosecutors getting elected anywhere in the country at this point. We've seen it. It's been an experiment, and the experiment has failed. And there's a lot of people that have been victimized based on this political ideology. We take very seriously our responsibility for K-12 education. And in Florida, our promise to parents is you send your kid to school in Florida, they're going to get an uh, education, not a political indoctrination. And people have a problem with that. Uh, They have a problem with the fact that the CRT, which was uh, pro-queer theory and all types of AP course was all on a tangent. DeSantis called it out. And when they go out and he said that he's looking at banned books, no, he wants to scan the books and make sure there's no pornography in there or something inappropriate for a third grader. And can we not talk about gender and picking your, uh, picking your gender with toddlers? Is that crazy? Carol Markowitz with the New York Post moved to Florida, co-author of a forthcoming book, Stolen Youth, has been watching Governor DeSantis' popularity rise and the attacks reign. Carol, are you surprised by the volume attacks, inaccurate attacks on the governor? Hi, Ryan. So nice to talk to you. Uh, No, I'm not surprised because he's so effective that this is all they have. And if you don't um, if you don't bow to them, they really don't like that. So, for example, the AP course that you mentioned, it was a black history course, but it was filled with a bunch of nonsense. I want my kids learning black history. I don't want them learning about queer theory in black history because that's simply unrelated. And I think it's offensive to insert unrelated material like that and say that this is part of black history. It just isn't. So I'm not surprised that the governor is getting the kind of attacks that he's getting. They don't have anything else on him. And 
he's he you know he has a thick skin. I think he's going to be able to handle it. Well, right now the, the pandemic uh, put him to prominence, taking on Disney and and a lot of these culture things like the one you just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, raised his uh, ratings. He won by 19 points in what was a considered a swing state. Uh, maybe it was Charlie Crisp, but maybe it was he found a way to get the Hispanic vote and independent voters. How right. did he do that? So I, I think that. Part of his appeal is that he sees that all of these things are related. And we talk about this in our book, Stolen Youth, also, where the COVID um, restrictions and the wokeness that we're seeing and so many different facets of society that seem to be crazy and leftist, they're all related. It's all one thing. So when COVID hit and you weren't allowed to say that the restrictions on children were crazy and you weren't allowed to say that, you know, the lockdowns weren't working. And so he He's sort of going beyond that where he's saying, I'm going to say these things that you're telling me I'm not allowed to say, and I don't care what you do, and I don't care what you what you say about me or the names that you call me. And it's showing a bravery that I think is really necessary. It's it's not just, you know, Governor DeSantis shouldn't be it shouldn't be just Governor DeSantis on his own. It should be other governors, it should be other politicians, because this is a, an existential fight. This these forces of wokeness are targeting our children, not just in schools, but at the library and at the pediatrician's office and in so many different places. And the COVID, you know, um, mandates and, and all of the lockdowns and everything really exposed what they were doing to kids and how much our kids did not matter. Yeah, I want you to hear when he brought up education, too, in Fort Washington, Pennsylvania yesterday, Cut 23. You know, the issue was, is is it appropriate to be having classroom instruction on, on things like sexuality and gender ideology? Is it okay to tell a second grader that they were born in the wrong body in Florida? We think the answer to that question is no. And... <laughs> But what some people don't know is some of this critical theory is trying to teach kids that police officers are just out gunning down minorities with impunity and without any without any basis to do it. And they're trying to create a hatred for law enforcement amongst very young and impressionable kids. That's basically he's getting ready to run. And when Eric Adams heard he was coming to New York City He tweeted this out. Welcome to NYC, Governor Ron DeSantis, a place where we don't ban books, discriminate against LGBTQ, plus use asylum seekers as props, or let the government stand between a woman and health care. Happy to teach you something about values while you're here. And the response from a spokesperson was nice rhetoric, but here's the reality. More Americans fled New York City than any other area. Mm -hmm. More Americans moved to Florida than any other state. You know that Mayor Adams and you, you know that Mayor Adams and you talked accurately about crime, pushing people out of New York City. Florida's crime rate is a 50-year low. So he won that duel. Adam should know better. (laughs) Really? I mean, 65,000 New Yorkers changed their driver's license from New York to Florida last year. So that's only the people who changed their licenses. There are people who are too lazy or who don't drive, or this doesn't count any of the kids who came or people, you know, who are past the age of driving. This is just driver's licenses. That's an insane number. And I was one of those 65,000 who changed my driver's license last year from New York to Florida. So I know how many people are fleeing New York and how many are still planning to, because, you know, moving away is not so easy. Mayor Adams saying this, and it's just it shows that he has no idea what's actually happening. Florida, 
does not oppose any of those values at all. I have found it to be an incredibly welcoming place. And you know, you mentioned the whole um, the the parental rights and education bill, where the kids in second grade are not taught gender ideology. The only complaint I have heard from Floridians about that about that law is that it stops at third grade. They're like, why doesn't it go all the way to fifth grade? Why should fifth graders be learning about gender ideology in school? So they want more of the Ron DeSantis policies and nobody wants more of Mayor Adams policies. It's interesting because Nikki Haley capitalized on that and said third grade's too young. Uh, it should be higher. So <laughs> Right, which is which is true. You know, I, I think that, that Ron DeSantis got through what he thought he can get through. Um, but there's really, I have a son in fourth grade. I don't want him learning about gender ideology in school. I don't want him learning that he could change his gender from day to day. And one of the more noxious things about this kind of wokeness, again, that we touch upon in Stolen Youth, is that it teaches kids that the race that you're born in is is the most important thing in the whole world. Yeah. It matters absolutely for your destiny, but that your gender can change from day to day. And it, you could be a gender that doesn't even exist right now. And I'm not just saying that. That's literally the truth where they're making up new words like Z-E or Z-E-H um, to describe a gender. I mean, if you haven't heard about that, it's coming to a school near you in the blue area soon. Is there uh, Carol Markowitz, our guest, New York Post columnist, uh, picked up, moved to Florida, uh, talking about Ron DeSantis, wrote a column about him. He was just in uh, three blue cities. I, I love the idea of him going to three blue cities and saying mm-hmm. this is the problem. And even though governors run everywhere, mayors don't. I mean, a lot of these Democratic mayors don't have somebody on the Republican side even running for it. And that's sad because then people have no alternative. Very sad. There's got if the Republicans yeah. had uh, should get their act together on that and try, try to win over the inner cities. But I want to also bring up the fact that Florida hired more than 1,000 police officers in a Mm six-month period with bonuses of $5,000 just to move down to Florida. And they say it's because they respect cops in the meantime. So between cops and crime, uh, people aren't going back to work. And then CEOs having trouble getting them back to work. And a lot of businesses, delis and pizza shops and and stores are just empty in New York City. Even though it looks like a lot of people, a lot of stores are still empty. Because it doesn't make sense for them to open. Right. So one of the things that I was really hard for me to deal with um, in that summer 2020, fall 2020 time in New York was that my neighbors in a, the wealthy area of Park Slope put up these defund police signs in their windows. And I just was so disgusted by it because it's only rich people who could defund the police. I grew up poor in New York, in Brooklyn, and there's absolutely nobody, and I don't care if they're on the right or the left that I grew up with, that thought defunding police would be a good idea. So it's a really elitist, specific part of the population that believes this kind of thing. And again, I think Florida's being really smart. Ron DeSantis is being really smart by capitalizing on this and saying, these people don't want you there. We do. We want this this demographic moving down to Florida. We want people who serve moving down to Florida, because why wouldn't we? Right. Uh, With uh, Carol, a couple other things. What do you think he's going to do as President Trump Starts getting traction. He's going to go to West uh, Pal- East Palestine. He's going to talk to the people in Ohio. Be more than likely treated like a rock star there. Got seventy percent of yeah. the vote. Uh, mm-hmm. As he gets out of the stump, he knows Ron DeSantis is his number one foe, like Jeb Bush was, and he's backing off calling him meatball, but he's going to call him Ron DeSanctimonious. What are your thoughts you know, I, about Ron DeSantis not yeah. answering? 
I love that Donald Trump is going to East Palestine. I think that is a great idea. I think it's a great use of his, use of his so celebrity, I. and I think it's it's such a great use of his leadership. I I, I really love it. Um, I hate that they're that they're going to have to fight it out if if Ron DeSantis runs for president. Um, I, I like both men a lot. I think that it's it's really unfortunate that we've gotten to where. Um, we are right now. I, I hate the name calling. And, and honestly, sanctimonious, I had to like Google what that actually meant. because <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's just a mouthful. And it's so nondescriptive of him. He's so not sanctimonious. I, I mean, the governor DeSantis that I've gotten to know is, is so down to earth and so plain spoken and, and really listens to other people. I, I think part of his appeal really is that he listens to the opinions of those around him. And, and then he makes his own call about it. And he gathers all the information. I, I love that. So I, you know, I, I love that Donald Trump is going to Ohio. I wish we had a president that understood that he should go to Ohio, but we don't. And you know, I'm rooting for the next president to have a better perspective on what Americans really need. Uh, that would be great. You also talked about transgender youth, real quick. Uh, you said the media gets even more unhinged. Why is it? I never even knew that transgender was more than an issue because it's such a small part of this country. Now we have uh, transgenders trying to compete in sports, people taking uh, stances yeah. on that, athletes and non-athletes. A couple of uh, female national team players, soccer players, came out in favor of it astoundingly. There wouldn't be one on their team if they all played. <laughs> right. It's it's wild to me that that – uh, female athletes are allowing this to go on because they know that men and women are built differently and they're not supposed to be competing in sports against each other. And it's not offensive to say that. It's just fact. So in Stolen Youth, we lay out a lot of the transgender craze and how it is a social contagion, particularly targeting young women. It, it, it's happening most often to preteen and teen girls. I have to tell you that before we left New York, I would say half of my then 12-year-old friend group declared themselves trans or non-binary or whatever. Oh, yeah. And when I asked my daughter, I was like, what percentage of the country do you think is trans? She said some, I don't remember, it was very, she was like 60%, like some extremely high number, because how much she hears about it and how much um, it, it was happening around her, she thought it was extremely prevalent. And it's, you know, it's really not. And the idea that we can change our gender is just another way of instilling this wokeness and saying to kids that, you know, your parents, you can keep secrets from them, we'll keep secrets with you. All of it's very, very dangerous to our family units, and it's dangerous to our children. Absolutely. It's just poisoning kids' minds uh, for some from sick agenda. So I want you to hear what this Daily Beast columnist said about Nikki Haley real quick. As you know, mm-hmm. she's running for president for the Republican nomination. Cut 27. Uh, Nikki Haley instead is the Dinesh D'Souza of Candace Owens. She's the alpha Karen with brown skin. (laughs) I see her and I feel sad, Mehdi, because she uses her brown skin as a weapon against poor black folks and poor brown folks, and she uses her brown skin to launder white supremacist talking points. Have you you ever heard such idiocy? Yeah, it's really sick. And, you know, I think when Don Lemon made the comment about Nikki Haley being past her prime, he thought he would be, you know, not to to misuse the phrase, but greeted as a liberator. He thought he would be applauded for this because you're allowed to attack Republicans in these really disgusting terms. And he thought it would be fine if he said that Nikki Haley was past her prime, because obviously you could say whatever you want about Republicans. You know, I know you know, but I'm an immigrant. I came here from the Soviet Union when I was a child. And I've 
I've gotten such gross comments throughout my life. I mean, how many times leftists tell me to go back to my own country and that <laughs> kind of thing? I get that all the time. And it's because they think that we are they're owed our vote, that they're owed our support, and that they, they think that black and brown people and immigrants, et cetera, that they belong to the Democrats. And it, it, it is one of the more despicable things from the left. And I, I wish the right would criticize them more for it and really call them out mm. more for it because they really deserve it. Now you got at least Tim Scott's going to get in, it looks like. And Nikki Haley's in Indian descent. You got African-American. It's very going to be very hard to keep saying uh, Republicans are selling out their race by being Republicans. I, I don't know even They'll how you do, do it. it. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Right. Uh, listen, Carol, it's always uh, great to talk to you. Carol Markowitz, look forward so to nice your book, uh, Stolen Youth. We'll, we'll be all over it. Thank you so much. Thank you. You got it. Back in a moment. I'll take your calls and find out if there's indeed more to know. President Biden speaking will bring back any highlights. It's Brian Kilmeade. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Keep in mind, One Nation coming up in just five days on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Meanwhile, now I think it's time. By the way, the President of the United States is just shouting his way through another speech. Uh, Let's get to find out if there's indeed. In fact, I think I know there's more to know. More to know. That's a lot about a shake. The Shamrock Shake is back. Why? The Shamrock Shake, I didn't know, was actually discovered in the 1960s. No one knew what it was until they discovered it and they decided to bottle it. Uh, now it's available at McDonald's. It's for St. Patrick's Day. Good luck. You don't have to be Irish to order. Is that correct? That is correct, and it has a great history that it goes back to helping uh, fund the Ronald McDonald House. Which helps, Good. Uh, children. That is a great house. Uh, great for uh, for sick kids. Next, Meghan Markle is reportedly not too happy about how she's being portrayed in Wednesday's episode of South Park titled The Worldwide Privacy Tour. Listen. So let me start with you, sir. You've lived a life with the royal family. You've had everything handed to you, but you say your life has been hard, and now you've written all about it in your new book, Where? Yes, that's right, friend. You see, my wife and I, I are totally like you should write a book because your family like stupid and then so are like journalists. So you hate journalists. That's right. And now you wrote a book that reports on the lives of the royal family. Right. So you're a journalist. We just want to be normal people. All this attention is so hard. Isn't it true, sir, that your questionable wife has her own TV show and hangs out with celebrities and does fashion magazines? What are you suggesting? Well, I just think some people might say that your Instagram-loving wife actually doesn't want her privacy. How dare you, sir? My Instagram-loving wife has always wanted her privacy. And you know what else? To hell with Canada. We are leaving. We'll go find some quiet place where we can be normal people. Come on, wife. We want privacy. We We want want privacy. privacy. Fantastic. And it's really devastating. You think it's a big deal, Eric, you were telling me, right? Yeah, I think they nailed it. Right, but but is it why why not just laugh it off? Why is she so upset? Well, you know, Allison was making the point to me that it could be intentional for more for even more attention. You know, maybe she's really not bothered by it, but is saying she is. But to be bothered by South Park, she has to know that everybody gets it from South but Park. But didn't she want to run for president? I thought so. Next, Alec Bolden scores a win in that Russ fatal shooting case as DA drops the firearm enhancement charge. So now it could be just looking uh, at eighteen months in jail instead of five years. This is getting ugly. It looks like the the husband of the woman he shot uh, is uh, now hopping on with the prosecution. Next, even moderate drinking kills brain cells, increasing Alzheimer's risk, according to research from Wake Forest University. A modest amount of alcohol accelerates brain atrophy. Drinking also has a connection with development of something else, plaques, the toxic proteins linked to Alzheimer's disease. Today's research, however, 
took things a step further by analyzing how alcohol influences the progression of pathology of Alzheimer's. See, I consider myself a moderate drinker. I'm going to be in trouble, and I forget stuff already. You can't uh, I, take those melon ball shots anymore. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about moving off something else and doing something like wine. More into the uh, tw- late 20th century, early 21st century. Top five, uh, co- top five funniest TV shows ever, best sitcoms. Number five, Parks and Recreation. Number four, Friends. Number three, Cheers. Number two, The Office. And number one, Seinfeld. Even the first two are in syndication right now. That's got people influenced. What's mixing from here? A lot. The Odd Couple. I know you love The Odd Couple. Taxi. Taxi's another great one. Right. Um, I don't think, I am not a Friends fan. The most overrated show, show ever. Ever. And the only Matthew thing I know Perry, about is they had a monkey. Why was we never writing about Matthew Perry's up and down weight and addiction and everything like that? Just give me something simple and funny. No, no, nothing else but just yeah. pure comedy. Pete loves simple. Yes. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.